Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Fundamentals, an OKC UK podcast. I'm your host, Tom Snowden, the founder of OKC UK. And joining me this week is Mr. Janelle Taylor. How are you this week, Janelle? Doing very well, my friend. I mean, it seems we're one man short today, but I think we're doing all pretty good, all things considered. Well, yeah, um, obviously we're missing... Brandon this week, um, he just messaged me earlier and said that his nails came before the podcast. So it's priority- got an important pedicure to fit in. What can we say? Exactly, priorities are in the wrong place. I think so. Shame on him. But uh, it's been it's been about twenty days or so since we last recorded. That's partially on me. I had um, a couple of busy weeks. Uh, with work and then last week everyone's um, availabilities just didn't make it easy for anybody to fit a recording in so I was like right we'll have another week off and then we're back with just the two of us this week so obviously as I said we haven't recorded for 20 days and obviously there's been a fair few games that we've missed in that time Uh, one thing instead of recapping each game step by step I want to talk about an overall trend that I've noticed over the case of the 20, uh, 20 days. Uh, and that's a team's defence, especially on the perimeter. I think it's been outstanding. Obviously, Lou Dort's Lou Dort. I think we have a lot of underrated perimeter defenders. I think Bayes is one of them. I don't think Giddy gets a lot of love for his D either. Um, Janao, are, you, are you with me with the team's defence so far? Or do you still think there's a bit of work? I, I do I do think there's work to be done on the interior, but I think the perimeter are near enough smashing it. I think it's been wildly impressive for such a young team. I think the Thunder are something like top 14 in defensive rating across the league. And that's not usually something you see with young teams. Usually young teams are terrible on defence because nobody knows really what's going on. I would completely agree with you. I think obviously Dort's been fantastic, but Giddy's uses his length really well, walls off the paint, dissuades, drives, and he's very good at getting out to contesting shots. Basically, I have to say, I'll leave my words on this. He's been fantastic defensively. He's using his length and his mobility and his quickness, and he sort of seems to have found another another level of understanding for the game. So he's now starting to anticipate where people are going to go, and he's using that to great effect to slow people down and make it difficult. Like He's guarded Paul George, Anthony Davis, all these like top top-level players, even Giannis this season. And I wouldn't ever say he's looked completely overwhelmed. He's always looked pretty competitive. And I have to say, that's quite impressive for the Thunder. I will just add as well with, you mentioned Baisley guarding Anthony Davis. He did also have a step-back three over AD as well. So, obviously, being the base stand that I am, I will throw that in there. Um, I wish Brandon was here just to try and argue about Bayes, but I, I know he does actually agree with me with his defence talking from last year. Uh, but let, let's have a players as well. I'm not just saying that being a, a Bayesy stan. Um, obviously, Shy is shy. He's capable of good D. Kenny Hustle just gets the job done. He was He's just been ploughing through people the last 20 days, just running into them for the fun of it. Like, you know, he's, he's pretty much ready to do an Isaiah Stewart at any moment, it seems. Although, I think I don't think it's going to get that as far as that. Um, but yeah, the d- defence overall has is, is really, really impressed me. And I echo what you say, how 
having the defensive work that we have or have been doing and what we have been capable of is seriously impressive for a young team. And it's not necessarily something I, I would find easy to coach into these players at a young age, especially when these players are young. They're probably trying to work on other areas of the game before their defence, unless they're a defensive specialist like Lou Dor or Matisse Feibel, for example, and then work on the offensive game afterwards. But it's, it's, it's refreshing to see. And I think the team and especially the coaches, so I don't think the coaches have had a lot of praise this year, deserve that praise. I think the most impressive thing is that like playing defense requires five people to be in sync at all times, to be truly effective and make have good possessions. And the Thunder seem to achieve that. So by not turning the ball over a turn, by contesting shots at quite a high frequency, and by just generally not giving the opposing team any easy chances to score, the Thunder don't really allow all that many transition points. And when you take away those easy options that you force teams to create in the half court, the game becomes a lot harder. And I think that's probably a reason why the Thunder's defense has been so good. They always, always seem to have a control on the number of possessions that they allow. It's not just run from one end to the other with abandon and just let the other team score. The Thunder seems to be playing quite a controlled and measured way. Yeah, com- completely agree with you. And that's, as I said, I think the coaches have a lot to play in that. Um, obviously, Coach Dagnall is only a second-year coach. Obviously, he spent a few years with the G League, so he's not exactly inexperienced, but he's got a good team behind him as well. Um, congratulations uh, are in order as well to Coach Dagnall, who's obviously currently away as his other half is having a baby. So congratulations to them. Hope everything goes well. I haven't seen anything yet about whether the baby's born. I don't know if I you have. I haven't either. Uh, no, I've not seen anything. Just, but we've had Coach Bliss in his absence, and Coach Bliss has done a good job as well. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it must be any any time now, Links. I'm pretty sure Coach is only meant to be away for one more game, but you you, you never know. Like, hopefully, it's, it's everything goes well, and there's nothing, no complications. Obviously, we all wish that for him. Uh, so moving on. About the recap of the last 20 games, didn't really want to talk too much about what's happened in terms of the games itself. We've all watched them. We all know what happened. Obviously, we had a four-game win streak and everybody was like, holy, oh my God, this team can get the playoffs. And the amount of tweets that I wanted to reply to, and it's like, you want, you're want you joking me if you think this team can get to the playoffs. Um, but we'll, we'll move on to the normal weekly segments of starting off with player of the week but obviously this week is player of the last 20 days which will be the on-running joke of this podcast the last 20 days um um and just my early prediction now myself and Janelle were probably both thinking exactly the same guy he's been the bright light since we last recorded he's played well every game Janelle, I'll let you go first, but I will probably just end up echoing unless you're going to throw a curveball. So I have to take Lou Dort to be my player of the last 20 odd days, partly because of what we all know about the defense. That's kind of a given at this point, but it's what he's shown on offense, which I think is pretty amazing. Because last year, whenever he drove to the rim, 
it was always a bit of a game of chance, really, because you never knew whether he was going to make it or whether he was just going to wildly go out of control, the ball would slide out and he would just clank it off the backboard or it wouldn't even touch the rim. This year, he seems to have a lot more lot more sort of control of himself when he drives. He takes that step, sets himself up, shortens his stride, creates the angle for himself to score and uses his physique a lot better. And that's really translated in his scoring numbers. Like he's been averaging something like 18 points this season and he's only shooting like 27, 28% from downtown. I think he's something like 71% around the rim. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. But he's just taken such a stride. And when Shea's been a bit off form, Giddy's not really been scoring all that much. And Thunder really relying on sort of contributors to step up and sort of piece it together. He's been fantastic. So, yeah, as I said, it was just, unless you're going to throw a curveball, I'm going to completely echo what you said, which you haven't thrown a curveball. It was obviously going to be Ludor. He's been incredible. And every time he goes on a hot streak like this, especially on the offensive end, it reminds me of a podcast episode myself and Brandon done last year with Brandon Rabar from Daily Thunder. And Tom's take on that podcast episode was we have seen everything that we have or could possibly see from Lou Dort on the offensive end. And obviously Brandon Rabar being the huge Dort stand that he is absolutely rubbished it and Rightly so. Like he's both Brandon and uh, Lou have made me swallow my own words, and I'm completely happy to see that. Especially when you see Lou Dort entered the league as an undrafted rookie and a defensive specialist, was told he didn't, or was told on the scout reports he didn't have a shot. When look at look at the player that we've had now, an absolute gem. He's on the best contract in the NBA as well by an absolute stretch, which is incredible. Obviously, you can credit Sam Presti for that. But Lou Dort's obviously worked hard to get that contract as well. Um, but yeah, offensively, he's been incredible. Um, I'm actually confident about him taking threes now. When he was going through the phase of starting to take him, I was like, it still didn't look right in his action. But he seems like he's got a good action now. He knows what he's doing on the offensive end. And I think his reverse layups are absolutely beautiful. Because he always... He pretty much gets fouls off him most of the time as well. And I reckon that's probably down to the friendship that he's got with Shy, the way that Shy drives to the net. I see a lot of similarities between the two. But if we have a friendship like Shy and Dort in OKC for years, which hopefully we do, I'm sure Janelle, you're with me that that backcourt, obviously it might change, is scary. I, I completely agree with you. You've got one guy who's just sort of the traditional orchestrator, runs the offence, does all that kind of stuff, and then you've got another player next to him, 6'5", but he plays bigger than that, stronger as anything, and he's just an all-defensive kind of guy who's able to lock people up, create his own shot and can just do things on the offensive end. I don't necessarily know what Dort's ceiling is going to be, but that's the fun thing. It's just that we've got a guy who plays all defense, averages 18 points a game, relatively efficiently, can go to the free throw line, happily knock down free throws quite easily. And we still don't know what he's going to be, but he's still potential for progression in there. So when his contract renewal comes up and Thunder pay him $15, $16 million a year, I'm not worried. In fact, I'm quite excited because I still think that there's another level in this game that he can get to. Is he the best guard in the NBA defensively? 
If no, how far away is he? For my money, he is. For my money, I would say that he's better than Marcus Smart because Smart has... He's a great defensive player when he's locked in, but he can have these lapses where he gets too aggressive. I like Matisse Tybal. I think he's really, really cool, but I personally would take Dork. And I think uh, Davian Mitchell's come in. He's done a fantastic job on lots of different players, but he needs probably another year first before we can really make a judgment on them. So at this point in time, I'd be happy to say that, yeah. So it's, it's interesting there that you mentioned Marcus Smart because throughout my time with my page and my podcast, excuse me, I'm drinking Coke so I keep getting these little hiccup burps. Um, not that I needed to tell you guys that, but you you mentioned Marcus Smart. Throughout the time of running my page and doing the podcast, we always, or myself and Brandon always thought it was good to consider him to Marcus Smart in terms of his potential. This is what Lou Dort's going to become. But my question to you now on the back of what you've just said, Lou Dort, Marcus Smart, who's the better player? To me, at this point in time, it would be... It has to be Lou Dort. Because I know with Smart, he can defend feasibly all five positions as a guard. But I would question how necessary that is. Why? How much... Will he, how often will he guard fours and fives during the game? It may be on a post-up, it may be you know, on a switch or whatever it was. I don't necessarily know how useful that is all the time. I think Dort has a sort of better effect on defence on the players that he's capable of. And to be honest, I trust Lou Dort more on offence. I trust Dort as a driver to go to the rim. And I think that's added a level of consistency to his game that you don't necessarily get out of Marcus. Marcus can have these hot strings and look like an absolute X-factor on offense and prize out another playmaker for the Celtics. But he can also be incredibly inconsistent. He's not seemed to find that consistency during his career so far. Whereas with Dort, I, I trust him more. I feel there's more confidence with him. Well, I, I was going to mention now about um, Lou Dort's playmaking abilities as well, with how Marcus Smart has been asked to handle the ball for Boston. He started off as their starting point guard or playmaker. And as obviously not been the same player. Like I'm a huge Marcus Smart fan. He's probably my second favourite Boston player after Dennis Schroeder, obviously, who, shout out to him, he's absolutely bloody slaying in Boston now, making a lot of people backtrack on the words that they were saying in the off-season. Um, See, we all knew about Dennis. We all knew that you give Dennis the freedom to be the player that he is. He's a great player, but you put him in a role where he just plays off the ball, doesn't get him any touches. He's going to be shit. It's just that Laker fans didn't seem to know that. Well, it was always going to be hard for Dennis walking into a team with AD and LeBron in it, especially especially LeBron. Like LeBron's the guy. Dennis Schroeder should have won six man of the year in his year with us. Um, he's an incredible talent. He's really is. He's severely underrated. But no, just wanted to put that in there as well. But we have some interesting thoughts on Lou Dortmund. We were going to talk about him a bit later while we talk about a couple of the other players, but. I thought we might as well get it in there now while we're talking about it. So we'll move on to the second segment that we always do on every episode, and that's Tom's take. I had a good think about this one and thought about the way the players are playing this year to like compared to last season minutes and stuff, etc. And I think this one might be one of the hottest takes that I've done so far. 
So my take to you this week, Janelle, it's a shame Brandon's not here because Brandon would have liked this one. But my take for this week is that Kenrich Williams should have been traded in the offseason while his stock was as high as it was. I don't believe that his stock will ever be as high as that again, coming off the back of the season that he had last year. He's... I don't want to say he's not exactly... I don't don't think he's had that much of an impact compared to last year. Granted, minutes have been slightly different. Role's been near enough the same. So I don't know whether it's just because we've had a over a year of looking at him now that we what you see is what you get with Kenny. You're not expecting any more. But I think it would have been good to try and cash in on him over the summer. Because I remember one of the hot, uh, Tom's takes as well from last season was that Kenny, Kenny Williams was worth a first-round pick. I don't think you could get a first-round pick for him now. So what's your thoughts on that, Janelle? I mean, I can understand... I'll be, I'll be honest, the value for him will never be that high again. He had a freak season shooting from three that kind of improved his value to a point where we would have never gone back to it. He's probably, for his career, 33 34% three-point shooter, decent from the mid-range, can score inside. But I still think, I completely disagree with your take, because if you look at all of the advanced numbers in terms of what Williams does, the top... Four of the best five three-man lineups for the Thunder this year involve Kenrich Williams. His statistics are modest. They're pretty limited, to be honest. But his impact on the teammates he has around him is pretty undeniable. It, I think last season, if you look at his numbers, the Thunder were, 0.78 point, were plus 7.8 better on the court per 100 possessions when he played. That's a scarcely unbelievable number. That's great you know, in terms of impact that he did for the Thunder. So his scoring numbers will never get back to the same. I really don't ever think that. But if you're talking about a guy who you can just bring in and just does shit off the bench, versatile, can handle the ball a bit, defends two, three positions, leads, and sets and plays with the tone, I don't think his value is ever going to, is not diminished all that much. I mean, he was a worth the first round pick last year. He may not be a worth as good of a first, but is that really what the Thunder are aiming for now? How many more picks do you need? Surely it's time to start thinking about consolidating some of these picks and getting decent players in through the door. If you're a contending team and you're looking at pieces you can get, you'd want someone like Kenrich Williams. You really would. And the Thunder can possibly make a trade in mind to get somebody from a contending team with Kenny like the trade bait. It makes sense, I think, in my opinion. That's completely where I agree with you as well on the back of my take where the, the, the problem is in a rebuild, you don't know how long the rebuild's going to last. So my thought in the off-season was we still had two or three years left and a player of Kenny's calibre and what he can offer, he would be amazing in a playoff team. And then the question remains, how long are we going to be in this rebuild? If these players carry on the way they're doing this year, we could probably go quite good, try and go quite well into the draft and a good free agency class as well. That we could be starting to push towards playoffs next year. But I still think that's a bit of a push. I still think next year will be a rebuild year as well. And then the year, year after that, we'll start going. But it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting take. I agree with what you say. I still think it's slightly diminished in terms of trade value, which is kind of what the take was about, but I do agree with K- 
Kenny did have a freak year shooting last year. He's still still the same guy. Still, I still love the guy. There's nothing more that I love seeing than a guy who's just ready to jump on a court and have 10 rounds with Muhammad Ali. There's just no doubting Kenny will do that. But, I think with Kenny, it's the thing. You have to look into his underlying numbers more than just the box score to truly understand how good of a player he is. So if he doesn't take a lot of threes, sure, but he's so good on one dribble mid-range pull-ups. He was incredibly effective last year and this year as well. You look at mid-range, he's a very decent shooter from that range, you know, in terms of limited volume. Scoring inside, his scoring inside has not been as good this year, but his timing has not been quite as good. Usually his timing is pretty solid. So if you think about those factors and you put it together, his scoring value can go back up again. It just won't go up from three. But if he's killing falls from the mid-range, then does that really matter as much? It's a value judgment at the end of the day. Do you fancy spacing? Do you fancy a guy who can take one triple, create a shot for himself, put pressure on the defense, and then perhaps create a shot for somebody else? Yeah, see, again, I completely uh, God, I can't speak that. I started talking bloody parcel time or something then. Um, I completely agree with what you said there. It's see, I'm 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 not one who tends to look at the all the other stats, like the in-depth stats, because quite frankly, I look at them and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, there's that many stats and stuff that they look into. I just tend to actually watch individual players on the court. That's the way I watch the game, and how I have my judgments, which is why I have certain feelings about certain players, but. What I want to do this week is, after this take, I want to invite you guys, the listeners, to have your say on this take. Um, send me a message, reply to the podcast tweet, let me know on the, what you think of the overall take of Kenny Williams's trade value will never be as high as what it was in the off-season and he should have been traded. Let me know your thoughts. We'd like to have a discussion about it. But moving on from Tom's take, we'll move on to another weekly segment, and that's Rookie Watch. So, rookie watch this week. We've got a new player to talk about since we last um, done a podcast, and we finally had our first glimpses of Aaron Wiggins. Um, I've been pretty impressed, to be fair, with the opportunities that he's had. Um, kind of surprised me when he came on as like the first change in the game that he made his debut in. Um, he's he's been impressive. He's he seems on a similar level of confidence with Trey Mann, which is exciting to see. But um, I've, I've been impressed with Aaron Wiggins, certainly. I think he's got a good level of knowledge on the ball and he seems to have a good shot in his locker as well. Um, Giddy, I'm probably echoing what I said the last time we done a podcast, that, that triple-double's coming. It's just a matter of when. He was fairly close last night. I think he was only like three rebounds, two assists away last night. Um, obviously, Trey Mann had his injury, missed a game or two. Um, JRE, I've nearly forgot about him then. Um, it's starting to Just prove so like solid. he's... Yeah, he's, he looks like he's starting to prove that he can be a starting centre, especially for us during the rebuild, while we don't have that starting calibre player. But he's certainly proven us wrong, and he's keeping minutes away from... Isaiah Roby, who I remember giving my player of the season to last year, which I think is incredible, but especially for a second round pick as well. Um, what are your thoughts on the rookies for the last 20 odd days, Janelle? Anything to add on what I say? 
I mean, I just love, like, aesthetically, I love Wiggins' game. It's just so fucking smooth. Every single movement, how he plays, it's just very pleasing to watch. And I do generally think he could be a good player for the Thunder. I mean, Thunder got him really late in the second round. Like 56, I think it was. Something stupid like that. He's a confidence player. It's pretty clear he is a confidence player because you can see when he has a little setback, he does have a, a he's a bit shaken. There. He's not the same player anymore. But dude, there's a proper player in with him. I know. I remember reading the scouting report when he came out of college, and everybody said he's not good enough uh, enough things to be an NBA player. But what if he can develop into just being a sort of like a versatile jackable trades type? Like we look at a guy like Abdel Nader, right? Who when he was first, I, I love the, that guy. So do I. When he first came to the Thunder, you could see that there was something there with him, but he just didn't quite have it then. With the off-season of work, right, he improved just marginally enough, right, in enough areas to be a generally very valuable piece for the Thunder. I do, I do wonder if Aaron Wiggins could be something like that. The difference I would say is that Wiggins is a lot more confident with his shot than Nader probably was. With Nader, always seemed when he got his a chance to shoot, he was always a bit worried, whereas Wiggins doesn't seem to have that. He has no fear, I don't think. And I'm just excited to see what he could do. See, now that you've mentioned Nader, I absolutely loved Nader and OKC. It's just reminded me of a couple of other players that, you know, that the Thunder fan base just absolutely love. You go as far back as Alex Abrinas, Hammy Diallo, I still see gets a lot of love on Twitter saying, come back to OKC. I know he apparently liked the comment on Instagram about coming back to OKC, but I'm glad to see him actually getting some minutes now in Detroit, so good for him. Um, but no, I, I echo what you say on Wiggins. Uh, he's been kind of a f- uh, breath of fresh air. It just... Um, I, I do question why we didn't see him sooner. Um, but we've seen him now. I like what I see. And it's, it's turning out to be that Sam Presti's just absolutely nailed the four picks that we had from last year. Although I know we're still a bit sour, both me and you, about uh, Sengun. No, let's not talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not. If we're going to be honest, Presti's last like terrible pick would be Terence Ferguson in 2017. He's had, what's that, 18, 19, 20, 21, four years worth of good draft picks. You know, you look giddy, JRE, Mann, Wiggins, Baisley, Poku, Maladon. Uh, 2019 was... 2019 base. 2019 was base, yeah. Yeah. That was 2018 base. No, 19, he's a third-year player. I can't remember who they took in 18. But regardless, Presti's been picking picks incredibly well over the last three to four years and he's just doing a sound job in terms of getting the young players that we really need to build this team. 18 would have been T-Ferg. No, T-Ferg was definitely 2017. I feel like it was anyway. I feel feel like we're looking it up now, aren't we? We we interrupt this podcast to see who's right. I don't think the Thunder picked in 2018. Because I don't think the Thunder had the draft pick. I think that got traded to like uh, Utah or Minnesota or something. Oh, well. 
the point the point still stands. It was a terrible pick on T Ferg. As, as nice as the guy he was, he, it was. It just... Well, I that's not something I'd sign my name to, but let's leave that alone. <laughs> um, but no, the the rookie's been really impressive, as as you, you were saying. Uh, Sam Presti has it has it's been a while since he's had a bad draft pick, so credit credit Mr. Presti. So that's that's all for the weekly segments that we tend to do every week. Um, going to talk about a couple of sub uh, categories now, uh, subtopics. There's four players I want to talk about. Starting off with SGA, what have you made of the slump that he seems to be in at the minute? Well, when I say slump, he's still offering a lot to us in the game, but he's he's definitely in an offensive slump, isn't he? I'm not necessarily concerned about it because he's getting. If you look at the conditions of what he's playing in, he's now facing doubles and triples pretty much every single possession down the floor, which is always going to impact impact his efficiency. But I'd also say this is that I kind of think in some ways it's by design because Shea already knows that he's got his layup in his bag. He's got the mid range and his, you know, he can do that. He's sort of seeming to experiment with, you know, generally sort of testing out what he's got the freedom to, to see what he can actually do from three point land and how effective he can make that weapon. It does kind of feel that he's just sort of seeing what works, seeing how he can sort of test it. So when it actually does matter, he'll have all these tools in his bag that are sharp and he feels confident and can rely on. Yeah, the main thing that still annoys me slightly with SGA is I still still kind of feel that he feels he has to do too much himself. Like, there are times players are open. Granted, they might be the likes of Poku, Bays, players who aren't guaranteed to nail a three or have, have your full confidence in nailing a three. But instead of doing what he's doing and getting nothing out of it, make those extra passes to try, try and get something out of it. That's something I've always been a slightly bit critical on SGA because obviously SGA is an all-star. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, I just think he, he could offer a bit more in terms of teammates. I feel like he's just not offering those open shots, which is it, it's one way to find out whether these players are getting better on the games. Like these players like Poku or Bayes, I know Bayes obviously does have a lot of open shots and misses them, but maybe if I talk about Poku or Kenny Hustle, they're not open as much. Um, we're not being able to see what they're capable of doing. Trey Mann, Aaron Wiggins, Mike Muscala, we know what he can do if he's open. And he's, he's just absolutely incredible, Mike Muscala, this week. Got to, got to shout him out. Um, but yeah, um, he'll, he'll, he'll get out of it. Every player has it. I'm sure... The next game, he'll come out and drop forty. Now that's the way it always works. When we, every time SGA gets slated, well, not not slated, he gets a bit of a bit of a British slapped wrist. We'll call it. You know when you know when your nan gives you a slap with a slipper. You know, I mean, like, that's a very British thing. I mean, it might have been for you, but <laughs> we'll leave that there. Oh come on, your nan must have done something. Nah, that bro. That there'll be people listening who will relate. Come on, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Um, but no, while we're talking about uh, shy, we'll talk about Darius Basley now. I know it seems to be a topic that we're talking about a lot this year in terms of most commonly is inconsistencies. Um, during the, I think it was actually during the four game win streak, we had 
four, five, I think four or five max games in a row where Bayes had good games. Like literally game, good game, good game, good game, good game. And then he's followed that with four or five bad games. Um, obviously, everyone here hears me talking about Bayes enough. They know I'm, I'll, I'll stick up for him, but even for myself, it's frustrating at times. He kind of pre-makes his mind up before the play is actually started. I feel like he kind of receives the ball and he's just like, right, I'm going to the net. I haven't seen the ball for two minutes, so I'm just going to drive and see what I can get out of it. He's had some really, really nice uh, plays attacking the rim. Like he's got to the rim and then messed a shot, which like people on Twitter have loved. Although people tend to look at the box scores and hate him for going two for 13, which I don't blame him. But it, I, I do understand people's critics of Bayes. He doesn't help himself at time. He's similar to a lot of other players. You mentioned Aaron, excuse me, Aaron Wiggins uh, being a confidence player. Bayes is the same. Poku's the same. You look at Poku when he either misses or makes a shot, he'll immediately turn around and look at Dagnall straight away. Every time, or looks at the bench, he looks at his players because he, he always does a little fist pump if, when he makes it and he's always looking back at the bench as if he's after some sort of reaction. Ah, but that's, no, that's the thing with players who come from the Balkans, that's kind of a thing because if you look at how they coach, coaches, there's very much about following a regiment or a rhythm. I think Bogdan, Bogdan Bogdanovic told a similar sort of story because he played under Obradovic at FS, I believe. And Obradovic is very known for having a bit of a temper. So if you took a shot he didn't like, he would be right on your arse, shouting and screaming at you. I just think it's a thing in terms of how they were developed as players. So that natural instinct to look back at the bench and see what the coaches are going to say and react. It's probably, he's probably trying to get out of it, but it probably still remains, I would say. Yeah, that, I agree. But what I was trying to say is in terms of, is the confidence levels. So like we said, Aaron Wiggins, Poku, Bayes, they're confidence players. If they, if they, hit confidence then they normally end up having a good game or having a hot streak of some sort which obviously it's it's, it's hard to talk about because you want players to be confident every game you don't want them to start a game and not feel confident because it's, it's, it's their jobs you want them to do well you want them to be confident but Went slightly off topic. Going back to Bayes, obviously he had the hot streak, he had the cold streak. Well, what's what's Bayes got to do? To, to to me, it's just it's the actual finishing, the shooting, the free. I don't think it's ever going to come. He's going to be roughly probably what he is now. Around, I'd, I'd guess he's at a 25-30% three-point shot maker, maybe even less. Um, I expect him to be a good driver of the ball. It's just that that finishing product, uh, similar to how Lou Dort was last year, he used to attack the rim a lot, get all the way up to the net, and then miss the final step of the layup. So that's where I I could see Bayes doing some work. Uh, how about yourself, you know? I think for me, like I just need to see consistency out Bayes. Show me a 20, 30 game stretch where there's no good games and bad games where it's just you know on solid level you know you can say that he's played consistently good consistently bad whatever it is I just think for me with Bayes he's got to cut out the stupid shit so the stuff where he makes up his mind 
before he's going to go to the rim. Just get rid of that. The stuff where he does that, where he sort of seems to fall back on these sort of two or three dribble moves to set himself up before he attacks. Get rid of that. The stuff where like he's taking contested threes for no real reason. Get rid of that. The stuff where he's sort of stepping out of bounds or sort of unnecessarily or doesn't know where he's on the court. He needs to get rid of that. If you can cut the stupid shit out, take good shots, rebound the hell out of the ball and just defend at a high level, we will have a good player on our hands. He's just got to understand what his role is. His role is never going to be taking 13, 14 shots a game with this Thunder team. It is he's going to be taking seven, eight a night, quality shots inside with a couple of threes in between, playing hard defense and just rebounding the hell out of the ball. That's what his role should be. And as soon as he understands that, the sooner I think he can finally reach his potential. Yeah, see, again, I completely agree with you. Um, obviously, I, th- I think two of Bay's strengths are his, we spoke about it earlier, his defense. I think it's very underrated amongst the fan base. I think his rebounding positioning is incredibly good as well. I think he's in, always in a good place for a rebound. Um, he's, he t- tends to be standing in around good places on offensive rebounds. So I do think that will come into his game at some point. But it is, it's his defensive game. Obviously, we saw that five, four or five game stretch where people on Twitter were as if they'd seen a completely new Bayes and were like, right, we can get back on board with Bayes again now. And then obviously he had that cold slump and he's lost a few fans again. But I, I think that's just Bayes. That's just what's going to happen with him. I'm glad Brandon's not here because he'll probably go off on one about Bayes and then I'll end up sacking him for the hundredth time. Um, so just before we finish off, I just want to talk about two players. First one I want to talk about was the guy who averaged the most points, uh, the most minutes per game for the Thunder last year. And that's Tio Maladon. So he's gone from the most minutes on the team last year to when Shy's out, he's still not getting minutes. Not even what? Not even one second. What's happened to Tio? You know, like why? Why is why is he not playing? Obviously, I know we brought in three guards in the draft and it could be the case of we just want to have a look at these guys. We know what Tio can do. Obviously, Tio done a couple of silly things last year. He had a lot of had a lot of turnovers. He obviously missed an open... Uh, I don't even know what you want to call it, an open shot. He was underneath the basket and still missed it. Um, what's what's Tio got to do? Is it a case of they just want to have a look at these guards or do you think there's a case of the franchise just might be looking elsewhere and might look to involve him in a trade? I think it's just a case of the Thunder looking at seeing what they've got in terms of... I think with Maladon, what the case was is that last year he ended up playing two or three different roles. So, you know, he started the season off guards, you know, sort of came off the bench, was an off guard, didn't really handle the ball that much. Then he was sort of like... When him and Ty Jerome playing together, he was like a primary playmaker for the team. And then he was starting point guard. And now, again, you come into this season, he's playing another different role again. He's played four roles in the space of a year, you know, the space of a year. Like, at some point, his brain is probably just exploded and he just can't be able to deal with all that kind of stuff. And I also think playing in the NBA, just having another year in Coach Dagnall's system, that's probably may not be as close to his instincts, so he's still probably struggling with that. If you look at the G League, he's absolutely G-League. killing it right now and he's cool. And he's been called back up from the G League after he's killed it. I think it's just a case of giving him the opportunity to show what he's capable of. You know, 
the benefit of having three or four guards on the roster with all five minutes is that they all have to, something to prove. You have to perform well to actually do a minutes and coach Dagnar's rotation. And this is the kick up the arse for Taylor for Taylor that he needs. I still think he's got a future in the thun in you know with the Thunder. It's just that his development may need to come faster, or he may just need a little bit of a push to achieve that uh, growth. But it's, it's, it's certainly looking like not as, I don't want to exactly say a lost cause. That's very critical, but I, I don't see where he's... If he doesn't get minutes last night, I don't see where he's going to get minutes unless they just start sending some of the rookies down to the G League more often and he gets those minutes instead. But it's certainly looking like what we spoke about last time when Brandon was with us with Ty Jerome or Tio Maladon. Is it the case of we're going to have both going forward or is one going to stay, one going to go? Obviously, I know we spoke about that last time, so we don't won't go too much in depth about it. But I mentioned lost cause. What what's Gabriel Deck's role? Why 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 is he with us? I like him as a player. Don't get me wrong. Like him as a player. I love Deck. He's fantastic. I, I think he offers a lot, but at the minute, what's his role? He's not playing. Surely he's not happy doing this when he's come over from Europe, signed a multi-year contract. I don't. It's hard to say because I don't necessarily. Perhaps money is a driver. I would certainly say that. I was in the Euro League. He played for Real Madrid. He got paid very, very well. Let's you know for European standards, he got paid very well, very well. But this is the NBA. He's been paid, you know, generational wealth. Uh, the sort of money that he'll probably never, never, never see in his lifetime again. So perhaps he's just sort of looking at it like that. Uh, to be honest. I don't know where he fits in the rotation. I think he's a quality player who could do a role for the Thunder, could do a job. But if you give him minutes and you talk about taking minutes away from Kenny, you're talking about taking away minutes from Poku, from Baisley, from basically all of the forwards. And it's hard to find a spot in the rotation fit. I, I love him. I think he's a great player to watch. Him posting up other forwards is absolutely pretty cool to watch. But I just I don't know what his role is. It doesn't make sense to me. Exactly my point. I don't see where he's going to be given a chance to show. I don't think he's been given a chance to completely show what he can do. He's only been given a chance to show glimpses, which is what worries me. But there, I think there's a tension around the court, uh, around the league. Sorry, of who he is. I think teams know who he is. So if he was offered as part of a trade, for example, then I do think that. There will be interest there, but it's certainly interesting. I'd like to see him, at least if it was just one in 10 games, to just give him a, even, give him a game as a starter. Or as sick as like the first guy off the bench playing 20, 25 minutes of the game. Just just show us what you can do. Give him a free lease. That's, that's what I wish from him anyway. Um, but no, that's... Oh, we have time to talk about this week. Um, obviously, no Thunder game tonight, I believe. I'm pretty sure we're back tomorrow at home against Utah. Don't hold me to that. I might be wrong. Well, but... That's going to ask kissing, ask kicking. <laughs> yeah, I think Rudy Gobert's going to have a lot of fun, as he did in the first game against them. Um, but. It's 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 still fun. I'm I'm in, I'm enjoying this team. I'm enjoying watching 
youngsters trying to improve, which is why I enjoyed last year. It's why I said last year was better than the Chris Paul year. So I got behind the youngsters and I enjoyed it. I've been enjoying the rebuild so far. I'm just hoping that it doesn't end up as a Sacramento, which I'm not saying it will. Our GM's too good for that. Our coach is too good for that. Our youngsters are too good for that. We will be back. We will be competing for the NBA championships, which I'm sure as everybody listening to this, the moment I said that, they'll be like, damn straight. It's coming. The NBA championship's coming. It's coming, Janelle, isn't it? It's coming home. As, as, we, as we say in England, it's coming home. I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure the Americans listening to this will probably get annoyed by seeing that all over social media over the summer. Well, guess what? You've got next summer for it as well when it's coming home in the World Cup. But anyway, that's all we got time for this week. Janelle, as always, thank you for joining me. No worries. Sounds good, man. It's been good. Uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. I uh, definitely hope so because I'm off next week. So I've been thinking about doing a bit, something a bit extra, which might make its way to Twitter at some point this week to release what I have planned. So watch this space. Not even Janelle knows what I'm on about, but watch this space. And as always, thunder up. Thunder up.